Welcome to IMTV Radio, bringing you the latest analysis from Socialist Appeal, the British section of the international Marxist tendency. For regular updates, subscribe to our podcast through SoundCloud or iTunes, or visit www.socialist.net. I think the the question about Rosa Luxemburg is not something... In my time, I don't remember we have ever discussed it. Uh, and I didn't know much about it before I started preparing. Uh, but I think it's, it's a very important discussion also because alongside Lenin and Trotsky, he was one of the main figures of the labor movement, of the revolutionary labor movement. Uh, and she was a very outstanding representative of Marxism. Uh, so I think it's important to study her and, and know what, what, what her ideas was, what she fought for. And also, many on the left wing seems to use her, like Lenin, he was, uh, he was a dictator, but Rosa Luxemburg, she was okay. So they use her for everything uh, to, to, uh, to really um, uh, excuse themselves and their revision of, of Marxism and their reformism. Uh, so I think it's very important also that we know what she stood for and can answer uh, both uh, uh, defend her good sides and also understand some of the mistakes she she made because she made uh, some mistakes also. But I think, first of all, uh, she was uh, born in uh, Poland uh, in a small village in 1871. Some say 1870, I don't know which one is is correct. It's not that important. Uh, But around that time, uh, when she was only 16, she became active in the Polish uh, labor movement. She was one of the founders of the Polish social democracy. Uh, and very quickly, she, uh, she had to flee Poland uh, because she was uh, being uh, prosecuted by the, by the police. And she fled to Switzerland, to Zurich, where many of the refugees of the labor movement of that time was actually uh, was around. And she became involved also in the international labor movement. And only in the age of uh, 22, in 1893, she was a delegate to the second uh, to a congress in the second international as a delegate from the Polish party. So very from the very beginning, she was not just active uh, in the Polish labor movement, but in the international labor movement, and she played a very prominent role in in the second international. <coughs> and in 1998, she decided to move to Germany uh, because this was the main the main place for, for revolutionaries. Uh, the SPD, the Social Democratic Party uh, of Germany, was, uh, was the main party of the Second International. Uh, it was the largest and it was the most important also concerning ideas and, and setting the tone for the whole international. And I think we have to remember, because the Social Democratic parties, the Social Democracy of, of Germany today, <laughs> is not the same <laughs> as the Social Democratic Party of, uh, of, 19, uh, of 1898. Uh, and the Second International was not, well, now it's more or less, it doesn't exist. But, but the Second International was the international. It was the only Labour Party. It, it had Lenin and Trotsky and Luxembourg and all these re- later revolutionary figures inside the organization. And this sometimes we have to remember when we read Social Democrats. It's not like the Social Democrats today. Uh, the SPD had historical links with, the, with Marxism, with Marx and Engels, who were part of, of, uh, 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 of the German labor movement. Uh, and Engels played a role also in, uh, in the SPD up till uh, he died. And they were cons- considered as orthodox <coughs> Marxists in the international. Uh, and they were looked at uh, <coughs> as also as uh, ideologically uh, leading. Uh, 
And it's clear that, that <coughs> the industrialization in Germany in the, in the latest part of, of uh, uh, the 19th century uh, had created a militant and fresh uh, working class. The economic crisis that uh, erupted in the beginning of the 1870s uh, created a, a strong move and made the, the SPD uh, grow. Um, and Bismarck, the leader of Germany, they tr he tried to block this uh, advance of the SPD by uh, creating the anti-socialist laws, banning the social democracy. So they had to work semi-legal uh, for a period up until uh, 1890. Uh, but they managed, even though they were uh, illegal, to build up the party. And they came out uh, when the anti-socialist laws were abandoned in 1890. Uh, they, they ended up being uh, far stronger than they had been and also being able to grow uh, after this. Uh, when they came out of illegality in 1890, they had 100 to 150,000 members, which was <coughs> a mass party considered, if you look at the parties in the first international. Uh, and they also grew in, uh, in votes. And, and by 1905, they had 385 members uh, and 27% 20, of the vote. So it was already back then a major, a major force in, in Germany. Uh, they had, uh, in 1930, uh, 90 papers and magazines with a circulation of 1.4 million. So it was really a mass force in, in German society. They had three and a half thousand full-timers working, working for the labor movement, which is quite <laughs> something that we doesn't have in front of us tomorrow, I would say. Um, but it's also clear that this has uh, some, some kind of conservative side. Uh, when you have to build up an apparatus, you, you have a lot of thousand daily tasks, I think you all know it. There are things you have to do, you have to collect the money from the paper sale, you have to write it down, you have to put it in the books, you have to do the accounts, you have to print the paper, you have to fold it, you have to... See. There is a lot of tasks that, that need to be done and they are absolutely necessary. Uh, and all revolutionaries have to be prepared to do all these uh, a bit boring tasks sometimes because otherwise you can't build the organization. But it also has a routine, <laughs> uh, a certain conservative side to it, to, to just keep the organization going and, and not so much uh, on a day-to-day -day basis, not so much maybe the ideological ideas and, and, the, and the greater picture. And you could see also, the, the second international and the SPD, it was born at a time where there was a boom in capitalism. From the 1873 onwards, there was a, a great boom in, uh, in capitalism, uh, lasting decades. Uh, and that had a profound effect on the psychology and the consciousness of the leadership of the second international. Many of them began to question, well, Marx said there would be a cycle uh, of, <coughs> of slump every 10 years, and there hasn't been. So maybe, maybe capitalism can actually go forward. Maybe we don't have to, to strive for, for, for revolution. Maybe we can, we can just uh, go bit by bit, uh, because it gets better. Capitalism goes forward, so we can gain reform after reform. And it had a reflection uh, along with this, uh, um, this uh, more, uh, this layer in the top of, of the parties, especially the SPD forming. Uh, and also <coughs> it created a condition where the top of the labor movement could be removed from the, from the living conditions uh, of those they were actually uh, supposed to represent. They, they, had, they, they went to negotiations with the, with the bosses. They, they had different life, lifestyles and were not really living the same life uh, as, uh, 
as a low-paid, uh, unskilled uh, German worker at that time. Uh, yes. So, so in this, and this is the this is the social uh, and economic base for the for the degeneration that happened in the top of of the SPD of the German SPD. Um, and and in this environment, it was uh, in this environment that also Luxembourg came to to Germany into the SPD, um, and and um, and and what was happening was they came out of illegality. They had this boom. Uh, the leaders tried also to use this uh, being legal now to water down the program. I think everybody knows people in the labor movement who has this argument today. We shouldn't provoke reaction. We should just say things a bit more careful. We cannot say our whole program because it will pr provoke the, the state from attacking us. It will, uh, it will provoke reaction from, from other groups. So, so we just have to be a bit, uh, just to hide a bit, what, say it a bit more soft. And this was the way that the leadership in the top of the SPD uh, did. They, they tried to soften and water down the program uh, and using the excuse of, uh, of, of maybe being uh, made illegal again uh, as, uh, as softening uh, it down. Um, but so this was clear that a degeneration was, uh, was going on, but on paper everything looked fine. In speeches, in articles, uh, the, the party leaders defended the revolution, uh, the fight for socialism, uh, the class struggle, all these things that were written in the Communist Manifesto, they, they would say in the speeches. Um, one of the, the main leaders of the, of the SPD, Kautsky, Karl Kautsky, he was, uh, his nickname was uh, the Pope of Marxism. Uh, he was really seen as the defender in the international of orthodox Marxism. Lenin, until 1914, considered himself a follower of, of Karl Kautsky uh, because he was far away and couldn't see the processes. But Rosa Luxemburg, who came to Germany in, in, in 1898, she could see what was actually going on inside the SPD uh, and in the top of, of the SPD. Um, and, and she started right away a fierce struggle against the revision, the revision of Marxism that was going on from, the, from some of the leaders of, uh, of the SPD. Um, and, and part of this struggle, she wrote uh, Reform or Revolution, uh, which is a really, re we just uh, published it in, in Denmark, in Danish, uh, and it's a really good book, and I think it's very useful <coughs> for everybody who comes across reformists, and I think we all do, otherwise we should go out there <laughs> and meet them and discuss with them. Uh, but it is really still, I think, one of the best uh, arguments against <coughs> reformist ideas. Uh, and she really destroys all these uh, these arguments that we <coughs> that we still hear today. Even though all of them say it's new ideas, it's the same ideas that Bernstein uh, raised in uh, in revision of, of Marxism in 1898. <coughs> They're still the same ideas that the, the leaders of the labor movement are raising today, and the same arguments that also Luxembourg used against them can still be uh, be used today. Um, yes. So what Bernstein did. Uh, he was one of the leaders of the social uh, of the SPD, uh, and in 96, uh, 97, <coughs> 18, 96, 97, he he began to write uh, 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 some articles trying to revise Marxism, trying to take uh, some parts out, like the, the dialectical part. What what is the need of that? We we don't need that in order to 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 fight for for socialism or for socialist society, um, and. 
But the main, th but the thing is, as it was also said yesterday, I think by Alan, you cannot take one part out of Marxism and then have the rest standing. And especially, you cannot take dialectics out of Marxism and then still have Marxism. <laughs> then it's just some <coughs> some mechanical ideas. Um, and what he did also was to 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 based on the on the boom that had been for 20, 30 years. He said. But maybe <coughs> capitalism has found a way of adapting itself, uh, of adapting so it can avoid crisis, or maybe not avoid them, but they will not be as, as bad. They will not, I think those of you who, who became <coughs> active before the crisis in 2008 ha will have heard some of the same arguments, but crisis, that thing of the past, it's not now. Uh, so this was his argument. Uh, capitalism is beginning to, uh, to adapt itself. Um, and that would also mean that uh, the middle class would uh, would uh, be be bigger. Uh, the, so the class contradictions would soften, um, and and the, and that the only struggle that that mattered for the working class it was the betterment of li of living conditions of economical demands. <laughs> and since capitalism was going forward, you could better the the social conditions uh, bit by bit. So. So what he actually said, and I think this is a very famous phrase that most of you will have heard, he said, for me the goal is nothing, the, the movement is everything. So it's not where we're going, it's just that we're going forward. Um, and this was his, his ideas and is, is in revising uh, Marxism. Um, and, and what the social democrats should do was to focus on the day-to-day -day struggle for reforms. Uh, he, he launched this idea in the theoretical magazine of, of, uh, the, of the SPD called De Neue Zeit. And there was an indignation on the left wing. But Kowski, who was the editor of the paper, he actually welcomed this, um, this uh, debate articles. Like, it was a good thing to... He, he didn't give any, any answers to the wrong ideas of Bernstein. He just said it was a, a welcome contribution to the debate inside the, the SPD. Um, and the party leadership, they were very evasive and very weak. Uh, they didn't want to go into the debate. They just wanted it to just, just keep on going with the, with the work. We don't have to take this uh, theoretical discussion uh, now. Uh, because they, they didn't want to do anything that could harm the growth and the unity of the party. So all these theoretical discussions, they could be, uh, maybe they could create disunity and dis arguments and so on. So let's just focus on the work. But Rosa Luxemburg, she said, no, we have to combat this. We have to, to take on this struggle uh, uh, straight on. Uh, and what she said, uh, and also she, played, uh, she wrote this book, and she also played a prominent role when it was discussed at the party congress, against actually the wishes of, of the leadership of the party. And she said, if this idea, this line of ideas are accepted, it will, me it will mean a complete break with Marxism. Um, and, and she said, and I think this is very important and something that often uh, comes up, there is no contradiction uh, for Marxists between reform and revolution. Uh, for the social democracy, that means in her terms, for the, for the revolutionary party, uh, the daily practical struggle for reforms, that is improvements for the workers, uh, in the existing society is the only way to lead uh, uh, the class struggle uh, and work towards the end target, which is socialism. So the struggle for reforms are the mean to, uh, to, um, to, to work for the target, which is socialism. If you just say, we don't want, any, we don't want to fight for any reforms, 
then <laughs> and we only want to fight for socialism, then you can actually fight for socialism. <laughs> then you can lead the, the class struggle. So it is in the in the fight for reforms that the workers learn by experience that you it is not enough to fight for reforms, you have to fight for socialism also. Um, and she says, and this is a very good quote she has in, in the for in the preface to, to reform a revolution. She says uh, that it is the final goal, and I think it is very appropriate for, for many of the discussions today in the labor movement. It is the final goal of socialism that is the decisive factor distinguishing the social democratic movement from bourgeois democracy. It is what makes us distinct from just another uh, democratic uh, liberal party that just fights for, for changes within the boundaries. What makes uh, a party social democratic, uh, a workers party, is, is fighting to change society in a fundamental way. Um, so she says that uh, the question reform or revolution as it is posed by Bernstein equals for the social democracy the question to be or not to be. In the controversy between Bernstein and his followers, everybody in the party ought to understand clearly it is not a question of this or that, or that method of struggle or the use of this or that set of tactics but of the very existence of the social democratic movement. I.e., if you want to build a labor movement that is actually worthy of the name and fighting for the working class, you have to be revolutionary, you have to fight for socialism. Um, and what she also says in this polemic, which I think is very instructive for all of us, is that all attempts to revise, uh, or to actually, uh, how do you say that? Um, uh, stop being a Marxist, if you could say that, <laughs> trying to discard Marxism, uh, they will use the language of Marxism uh, and they will try to hide what, what is actually the core of the new argument. I think there are many on the left wing today that, that says they're Marxist and then they just say things that are really not Marxist. So the task of revolutionaries, of Marxists, is to find the core. And in a polemic, you often find people say, oh, but you just set up um, how do you say that in English? You just uh, set up um, a straw horse. Yes, a straw horse, and then you. Sure. Yes, well, you you get yeah. the you get the point. <laughs> you, you you completely <laughs> misinterpret what I say. But what she says it is, it's <coughs> important to find the core of what is being said and bring that out so you can see what is the logical conclusion of these kind of arguments. What will be the logical conclusion of what Bernstein is saying, even though he still says he's a socialist and a Marxist? Um, so she brought it up very uh, clearly, and I think this is the way to have a, a, a polemic. Um, this put pressure on the center of the party, people like Kautsky and, and the old-time leader, uh, Babel. They had, to do, they had to say something in this debate, and they criticized Bernstein, but they didn't criticize him as much for what he said as for bringing it, it up and creating a disunity uh, and, uh, and, um, and that there was no more unanimity. Uh, there was one of the other leaders, uh, a guy called uh, uh, Ignaz Auer, and he, he said to, to Bernstein in private, we all think these things, we just don't say them out loud. And I think uh, this is the way the leadership of the labor movement today <laughs> really acts in many ways, and also shows already back then how completely <coughs> unprincipled the leadership of, of the reformist, uh, what was becoming the reformist parties, was really acting. They, they talked about socialism and Marxism in their speeches, and then they just did what they wanted to do um, 
Yes. So the party leadership, they wanted to, to bury the problem and didn't want to take the discussion. Um, and, and, but uh, Rosa Luxemburg, she insisted of having this discussion, not just to win the vote at the party congresses, because the, the, Marx, the official Marxist line always won uh, the, the, the vote of resolutions and so on over, over Bernstein. But what she said was it was important for, to educate the whole party membership and for the whole party membership to take part in this discussion. Theoretical discussions should not just be something for the leadership, it should be something that all members participate in. So, so this was the main point of raising these, uh, these discussions. Um, and, and I think this forms <laughs> the main lines of what we have seen of the labor movement since then, the reformist wing, uh, the revisionist wing, and then the, um, and then the revolutionary Marxist wing. And of course, there are many divisions within these two wings, but this is the main, two divide, this main uh, dividing line. And this dividing line became even clearer when there actually came a crisis just after this, uh, this debate. It, it was shown in practice that capitalism had, had not just uh, uh <laughs> adapted itself and w was never going to come in crisis. There came crisis and there came the Russian Revolution in 1905 that also divided uh, the whole labor movement whether to support the revolution or not and clearly also Luxembourg was on, on the side of supporting the, the revolution and she actually went back to Poland to participate actively in, in the revolutionary movement. As we know that the revolution in 1905 was defeated uh, and it was later described as Lenin, uh, by Lenin as the general uh, rehearsal of, of the Russian Revolution of 1917. But these divisions in general, uh, as I said before, Lenin, he, he thought, he, he considered himself a follower of Kautsky up until 1914. These divisions and these arguments were not widely known, neither in the SPD or in the, in the Second International. Uh, it was mainly something that was going on in, in the top. And, and that also made when the, when the First World War broke out in, in August 1914, that made the betrayal of the leaders of, of the whole Second International, especially by the uh, SPD, came as a complete shock to all the members and to all the workers of, uh, of, uh, of, uh, of Europe. Um, and, and it showed that, that this debate was not just an abstract debate, it was the dividing line <laughs> actually in, in revolution or reform, uh, in internationalism uh, and nationalism. Because when it came to, in, in uh, 1912, the Second International had voted uh, a resolution uh, drafted uh, partly by Rosa Luxemburg, being against the, the, it was clear there was coming a world war, uh, that all the, the second parties of the Second International should vote against and, and, uh, and go against the, the national bourgeoisie and not send uh, workers to kill workers. When the vote actually came uh, in August 1914 in Germany and in the other parties, only two parties of the Second International voted against support for the war credits. So all the other parties actually voted to support the national bourgeoisie in sending workers out to kill workers from other countries. Uh, and it came as a complete shock. I think many of you will have heard <laughs> the, this um, anecdote that Lenin, when he received the, the paper, the, the forwards from Germany, and it said that the party had voted for the <coughs> war credits. He thought it was a forgery by the German general staff and couldn't believe it because it was so, such a big shock. And it, must, it also shows, I think, the complete confusion that this must have created in the ranks of, of the Second International. 
Um, yes, and and the whole leadership, the old leadership, completely succumbed to this uh, so this chauvinism, national chauvinism. Uh, Kautsky, for example, he wrote in 1914 that the international that was only a tool for peace. Uh, for war, it was not useful. <coughs> well, if you can't use an organization when it actually comes to war, then uh, war and revolutions are the big tests of every organization, then it's worth nothing. Uh, and this uh, was uh, when Lenin, he really realized what Kautsky, uh, that he had actually just been the left wing of defending this uh, or hiding this revisionism inside the SPD. Uh, and he wrote, uh, Lenin wrote in 1914 that uh, Rosa Luxemburg had been right about Kautsky long uh, before he actually realized it uh, himself. The situation uh, when the war broke out, because we, we had a discussion in Denmark uh, uh, not so long ago, so, but sometimes you don't really feel the mood of revolution. If you can imagine Europe, 1914, there's complete war hysteria. Workers are being sent out to kill other workers. The whole labor movement, everything you knew, have voted <laughs> for the war. There's complete uh, confusion. There's complete patriotism, war hysteria. It is not a, an easy <laughs> uh, environment to be in as, as a revolutionist, as an internationalist. The internationalists <coughs> they met in Simmerwald in 1915, uh, and there is also this joke that uh, that uh, I think many of you will have heard that Lenin made, that all the internationalists of the world could be fit into a few stagecoaches. I think <laughs> that is not many more than we have been this weekend. That is actually the situation in 1915. Um, so it was not an easy situation, but it was a situation where they, they gathered their forces, and you had uh, Lenin and Trotsky and Rosa Luxemburg and others defending the internationalist idea and defending the revolutionary ideas. Um, in, in August 1914, all the members, all the uh, MPs of the SPD voted for the war credits. There was a discussion in, in the parliamentary group of the SPD whether to vote for or against, but uh, because of some maneuvers and so on, uh, the, the majority decided to vote in favor of the war credits, and the minority decided to, um, how do you say that, to follow party discipline. And so there was no vote in the German parliament against the war. All of them voted uh, in favor, but it became very clear uh, quickly uh, for Karl Liebknecht, who was a member of parliament for the SPD, that it was a mistake, that someone needed to break party discipline because party discipline was not following the program and, and the ideas of, of the party. So he, as the only person in December 1914, stood up and voted against the war credits. And it must really have <laughs> taken some courage to stand up as the only one in this reactionary parliament. And that also made him a focal point for all, all the opposition to the war, that he, he was the, the first person, uh, others followed, but he was the first person to actually stand up and say, no, I'm not going to, to support uh, the, the German bourgeoisie in this, uh, in this war. Um, he, he and uh, Rosa Luxemburg uh, came together, and in 1916, together with, with the others, uh, Klaus Zetkin, uh, Franz Mehring, and others, they, they decided to form what uh, they called the Spartacist uh, League. Um, and it was, it, was, it was formed inside the SPD, uh, and it was more or less a loose network of people being against the war, fighting for, for revolutionary ideas. Um, and, and not really 
they, they, they defended their ideas, they put out a paper and so on. Uh, very quickly, many of them was put to jail. Also, Luxembourg was very quickly, I don't remember exactly when, but during the war was uh, put to jail. She was not put to jail for any offense. She was put in, in jail for protective reasons. So mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, there was no time limit. There was not the, the rights of, of prisoners. Uh, she never knew yeah, when to get out. She had no, she couldn't defend herself because she was not accused of anything. Uh, so she would just by the state put in protective <laughs> care uh, of the very, not very, I think, uh, nice environment of a German uh, war prison. But of course, she, it didn't stop her from being politically active and writing articles and smuggling them out and so on. Uh, but, but of course, when all the leaders are put, <laughs> put into jail, it, it makes, uh, if you don't have an organization at least, it, it creates uh, some problems. Very quickly, this war hysteria and this, um, this feeling of, um, how do you say, yeah, of war hysteria, it cooled down. And the stark realities of, of war, hunger, uh, killings, uh, cold, uh, became very real for the German workers and also very real that the war had nothing to do with their lives. It had everything to do with just defending uh, the, the German bourgeoisie. And, and under this uh, pressure from below, uh, where there became the opposition to the war became bigger and bigger, um, uh, the opposition inside the SPD also grew uh, quite quickly. Um, and, and you can say Karl Liebknecht had broken the, the dam, maybe. I don't know if you can say that in English. Uh, so in March 1916, a large minority refused to vote for the budget uh, in the Reichstag uh, and thereby uh, decided not to vote for the war credits. Uh, and this won widespread support in the party. And many of the local uh, party organizations uh, in Berlin, in Bremen, Leipzig, and other key industrial centers supported this opposition to the war that began to emerge from the, from the top of the party. Um, they held the oppositionists to the war. They held the first uh, national conference in January 1917. Uh, and that made it a more, and gave it a more organizational form. They were still a part of, of the SPD. The leadership of the SPD could not accept this. They could not have an organized opposition to the war inside the, inside the party. So they decided to expel the opposition. Uh, <laughs> that meant that uh, the opposition were expelled and they, they broke away from the SPD with 120,000 members. Left in the SPD was 170,000. So it was not that, that big of a minority. Uh, and they broke, they formed uh, what they called the Independent Social Demo Democracy, USPD. Um, but this was a very unprincipled split. In this split were Karl Liebknecht and Rosa Luxemburg, but also Kautsky and also Bernstein. So it was actually mm -hmm. all the old tendencies of the social demo democracy was actually in this new party. And, and the, new, the leaders of, of the SPD was completely reformist uh, through and through. Um, Yes, so that shows that it was not on very clear ideas that the USPD was formed. It was just in opposition to the war, uh, basically, and no idea what then to put instead. Um, and this became very clear and very clearly a problem when, when the war uh, created rev a revolutionary situation, uh, as it had been predicted by the, by the revolutionaries. Uh, and the first place where revolution broke out was in what Lenin called the weakest link of, of capitalism in, um, in Russia in February uh, 1917. 
uh, as we all know. And those who wish to exaggerate the differences between Rosa Luxemburg and Lenin, they always point to what she wrote about the Russian Revolution. But you have to remember, she was in prison. And what you can get of information, one thing was there was no internet or television or anything. Uh, but she was also in prison. So it was very one-sided, the information she got. Uh, and she criticized the Bolsheviks. But even then, she wrote, uh, and I want to, uh, because everybody who wants to use her against Lenin, I think, uh, should read this. Everything that a party could offer of courage, revolutionary far-sightedness, and consistency in a historic hour, Lenin, Trotsky, and the other comrades have given in good measure. All the revolutionary honor and capacity which the social democracy of the West lacked were represented by the Bolsheviks. Their October uprising was not only the actual salvation of the Russian Revolution, it was also the salvation of the honor of international socialism. So she completely supported the Russian Revolution. She had criticism, as she criticized their, um, their land policy, she criticized the, the, the peace agreement in Brest-Litovsk. But what she actually said was all these things, all, these all the things, she, and she, she criticized them for, um, for their policy on the constituent assembly. But, but what she said when you, when you read what she writes was, but why was these mistakes, as she called them, posed on the Bolsheviks? Because of the lack of the revolution in Germany. So the responsibility for this situation rests on the leadership of the German working class. So she, she actually said that they were forced to do many of these things because that the revolution was lacking in, uh, in Germany. And she also changed her mind, for example, on the question of the constituent assembly when she actually was posed with the practical question and got out of prison and, and had to, to, to take a, a position on it in the actual, actual situation of the German revolution. Um, and what she said, and in that she was in complete agreement with uh, Lenin and Trotsky, was that the, German revol uh, the Russian Revolution could only act as the spark to ignite the European Revolution, especially the German Revolution. And it did. Uh, in, in November 1918, uh, the, the German Revolution uh, started, uh, you could say, actually quite quickly after, after the Russian Revolution. Um, and it was... It was sparked by the mutiny of the sailors in Kiel. Do, do you say Kiel in English? Yeah. Okay, yes. Uh, and uh, they were mutinying uh, against being sent on a suicide mission. The, Germany, uh, the, the German army was about to lose the war, and it was quite clear. But they wanted to send the fleet out to have like uh, the last honorable, uh, yeah, go, go out of the war with honor. But if you're a sailor, you, you don't want to be killed just to save the honor of the, of the German army. Uh, you want to stay at home and stay alive until the war is over. So, so they mutinied. Uh, and I think also Alan mentioned this yesterday. Uh, some of the officers never came into, uh, into land because they were uh, dropped overboard. Uh, they, they took over uh, the warships. Uh, they had the red flag flying over the, the sailors' uh, quarters in uh, in Kiel and, and other uh, harbor towns, and they very quickly um, fraternized with the workers of these cities. And uh, councils, workers and soldiers councils, began to spring up in several of, uh, of uh, German cities and in Berlin on the 9th of November. And that is what a Soviet means. It means a council. I'm not sure I can <coughs> say the, the German word. Uh, but Arbeiterrat. Uh, 
Yes, <laughs> this, <laughs> the, the German word for, for Soviet. Uh, they, they sprang up all around uh, Germany spontaneously uh, and in Berlin on, on the 9th of uh, November. And that created, like after the February Revolution in, in Russia, a, a situation of, of dual power, uh, where you, on <coughs> one side you have um, very quickly the, um, uh, the Kaiser was forced to, uh, to resign, uh, some kind of parliament was set up, a government, but you also had this other, uh, that was a bourgeois power, uh, but you also had this workers and soldiers power, these, uh, these uh, councils uh, sprung up, so you had this situation of a dual power, and that's a situation that could last for some time, but it can't can last forever. One kind of power, the bourgeois power or workers power, have to win in the end, uh, and the whole period in Russia from February to October was, a, was a, a struggle which kind of power should win. And this was uh, the situation that opened up in, in Germany in uh, 1918. Um, and uh, the revolution freed Rosa Luxemburg from prison. And from the beginning, even though she had been really, it, has, it had not been easy on her uh, in prison. She had been isolated and so on. But she threw herself into the struggle uh, right away, uh, into the, the revolutionary struggle. Uh, and, and in this period, the, the, as in Russia in February, the, the power was in the hands of the workers and soldiers of Germany, but they didn't know what to do with it. So as in Russia, they gave it to the leaders they knew, mainly the leaders from the SPD, the old party of the, of the working class, uh, and also a revolution. It puts millions of people into, that is a revolution, millions of people begin for the first time to participate in politics. And what do they go to first? They go to the, to the organizations they know. So millions of people streaming into political life and looking for who to support. Uh, and many of them supported uh, the SPD. And the SPD found themselves in a situation actually in, in the head of the government and in the head of the councils, uh, <laughs> a bit like the Mensheviks in, in Russia uh, after some time. Uh, but it was also clear that they didn't want the Workers uh, and Soldiers Council to take power. They wanted to defend, uh, defend capitalism. Uh, and that was clear from the beginning, uh, that the leaders, the now leaders of the SPD, Ebert, uh, Noske and Scheidemann, they just had contempt for the workers. Uh, one of them was asked, I think it was Ebert, uh, but he was asked uh, if, he, if he supported a revolution, and he said, no, I hate it like the sin. So that was quite clear that he, had, he was not going to, to defend the, the workers in any way. <coughs> uh, but it was also clear that the revolution had just begun. This was not the end <coughs> of the revolution, this was just the beginning, like in February 1917. Um, and the, the USPD, uh, the Independent uh, Social Democrats, they were very confused. It is clear if you have Bernstein and you have Luxembourg, it, it's not <laughs> you don't have a clear line on what to do. It was very, very confused. It was a centrist party, i.e. a party uh, going from reformism to revolutionary ideas, but it's not a stable thing. It can go each ways. It's not the, and normally not a, a stable formation for long either. Um, and so, yeah, they were confused. The only ones who actually had a clear idea what to do was the leaders of the SPD. They knew they had to try to maneuver themselves into taking control of, of the councils and thereby suppressing the councils and, uh, and uh, securing the, 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 the power of, of the bourgeoisie. 
Inside the USPD, we had the Spartacists. They had split with the USPD when they split from, from the SPD. Um, they were a tiny minority. Uh, they were courageous. They were real revolutionaries, people who really wanted a fundamental change. But they were very young, very unexperienced, and very ultra-left, because they had seen what the old organizations were like. Uh, so they had understood the significance of the councils. They could see what had happened in, in Russia. But they didn't understand how did the, did the Bolsheviks, uh, how did the Russian Revolution develop from February until the, the, the Workers' Councils, the Soviets, actually taking power. It was not the first thing that happened <laughs> after February that the Soviets took power. It was <laughs> the, the final thing, if you could say, uh, of, of uh, ending the revolutionary period. Um, so, so they were very confused, very ultra-left. For example, in Dresden, uh, a big city of Germany, they decided to leave the council because the council had a majority from the SPD. And so they just withdrew, a bit like the Bolsheviks did before Lenin came, came back from, um, from, uh, from exile. Uh, and they just uh, said that the leaders of the SPD and the USPD were b betrayers of the working class. Uh, their talk about a national assembly uh, that was just a scam, uh, so you couldn't participate in that. Uh, and it was clear it was a, an attempt to secure bourgeois democracy in Germany. But as in, in Russia, it was something that aroused the millions of workers. And what the Bolsheviks did, and what <coughs> they should have done in Germany, the Spartacists League, was to patiently explain and show in practice that the only way to secure the, the workers taking power and the soldiers taking power was to take, <coughs> like, the, like the slogan in in Russia, all power to the Soviet. But you have to, to patiently explain this and connect it with the living experience of the working class during the revolution itself. Uh, you cannot just discard anybody who supports the, the SPD or the USPD leaders as, as the traitors to, to the working class. Um, yes, so this, uh, this slogan of, of Lenin, of patiently explaining and <coughs> connecting to the, to the consciousness was really not something that the majority of the Spartacists had, uh, had understood. <coughs> um, but it was also clear that even those who supported the SPD was moving to the left. The SPD uh, uh, maneuvered to call the, the national, to have a majority at the National Council uh, of, of the Workers' Council, on, I think on the 16th of, the of December 1918. They had maneuvered because they were the only ones who were really organized to get the majority. But this, and this I think showed, shows the potential and the radicalization. This Congress, with a majority of members from the SPD, uh, passed resolutions by big majorities demanding abolition of the standing army and establishment of a people's militia. Uh, all badges of rank should be removed. Uh, officers should be elected and have, you should have the right to immediate recall. Uh, the soldiers' councils should be responsible for maintaining discipline in the army uh, and, and immediate <coughs> nationalization of all key industries. This is not a traditional uh, program of, of the social democracy, and it was certainly not the program of the leaders of the SPD, but they couldn't hold it back even though it was their members. So it showed the potential for the German revolution of actually winning and for the Spartacists to win over these people to, to the ideas of all power to, to, the, to the councils. Um, but it was also clear that the ministers of the SPD had no intention of carrying out these resolutions. They would say, well, we have to, yeah, you know how reformers speak, 
we can do it at some some point. Right now, we <coughs> have to focus on some other things and so on. Um, and they were also closing ranks, the, the leadership of the SPD, with the German High Command, beginning to discuss how to how to shut down this revolutionary situation and consolidate bourgeois power. Um, there was clashes on December 23rd and 24th between the army and the mutinous sailors in uh, Berlin. Uh, and the government uh, sent troops out, uh, killing, uh, I don't remember how many, quite uh, 67 uh, sailors in these clashes. Uh, it had happened before, but this time the USPD, who was also part of the government, decided to withdraw their ministers from the government. And it created, you could say, <laughs> it became more clear uh, the responsibility of the SPD as the sole party being responsible for the government and it would, if it had been used correctly, been easier to expose the leaders of the SPD for, for uh, sabotaging the revolution going forward. Um, yes, inside the USPD and with the Spartacists, also the, the mood grew that something needed to be done. They needed to create an organization, uh, not just a, a loose network. Uh, they needed to create the German Communist Party. Uh, many of, of the members of the Spartak Cis League uh, uh, said. So in uh, the end of December, uh, they on December 29, they hold a Congress, the Spartacists, uh, and decided to form. Uh, first, they put pressure on the USPD leadership to call a Congress of the party. And it was clear if they had done it, the Spartacists would have had a majority. But the leaders of the USPD refused quite clearly because they didn't want <laughs> to be uh, outvoted. Uh, so, so the Spartacists went ahead and called their own Congress and formed the, the KPD, the, the German Communist Party, on 29th of December, um, 1918. It was, there was 127 delegates, and it was mainly uh, very young people, very enthusiastic, very revolutionary, but also very ultra-left. <laughs> Uh, against the advice of Rosa Luxemburg, they decided to, uh, with a big majority, 62 against 23, to boycott the National Assembly elections in January uh, and just say, well, it's just a scam. Uh, we should just focus on the councils instead of taking advantage of this opportunity of going out to all the workers. And there was a discussion, and, and the Rosa Luxemburg and Karl Liebknecht, they, they <laughs> They managed to postpone a decision on the question, but it was clear that the majority of the Spartacists, they were so ultra-left that they didn't understand the need to work in the, in the trade unions. They wanted just to leave the trade unions because they were reactionary. Um, and even though that the trade unions, before November, there had been one and a half million trade union members, at the end of December 1918, there were 2.2 million and by the end of 1919, there were 7.3 million. So you could see how in millions, the workers moved into the trade unions because they needed organization. And, and the trade unions are the most basic organization of the working class. But the <coughs> Spartacists, they, could, they couldn't see this process. They could only see the leadership of the trade unions. So they, they didn't want to participate in this. Even though they didn't take a decision on, on the question on, on the Congress, uh, there was, during the Congress, there was negotiations with what was called the revolutionary shop stewards of mainly Berlin. And they were people who were elected at the factories, shop stewards, uh, who were revolutionaries, uh, who was in the USPD, but who were discussing with the Spartacists whether to, to go with them in forming the Communist Party. Uh, and the problem with the Spartacists was they didn't have a lot of people out 
who had real contact with the, with the workers of, of Germany, with the workers of Berlin, and that is absolutely <coughs> necessary. So it, it was really important for them to win these revolutionary shop stewards. But when they saw the, the ultra-left attitude of the members of, of the Communist Party towards the trade unions, they said, we, we can't be a part of this, we're going to stay in the USPD. So the, so the Communist was, was formed without this very important group uh, representing uh, the Berlin workers. Um, it was clear that, that the revolution was, uh, was still going on, but it was also clear that counter-revolution were beginning to feel that it was time to, to strike back, try to test the forces, and that they were probably stronger than the revolutionary side at this uh, moment. <coughs> uh, so, so they, um, yeah, they tried uh, actually to do a bit what happened in, in Russia also in July. They tried to provoke the most radicalized section of, of the workers of Germany, the workers in Berlin, into a provocation, uh, like the July days of, uh, of uh, Russia. Uh, the, the, the spark, if you could say that, was they, wa they, they said they wanted to fire who was the police chief of, of uh, Berlin, uh, Icon, he was called, he was a member of the USPD, and by the workers he was seen as, as one guarding uh, the Berlin working class, that he was in this position, even though the USPD ministers had withdrawn from the government, that was a security for them. So it was clear, and it was clearly a provocation to the workers of Berlin. We just remove him and see what we can do, and what will you do about it? But the problem was <laughs> that, that the workers of Berlin, it got provoked. They, they immediately went out to the streets uh, in defense of, uh, of Icon. They, they went on to um, occupy um, the train station, other key areas, and they also occupied Forwards, which was the paper of, uh, of the SPD, uh, their offices. Um, yes, and the workers was there was half a million worker uh, workers on uh, on the streets of, of Berlin, and this of course uh, had uh, clear uh, revolutionary implications uh, and. And uh, in Berlin, there was set up a council to discuss what to do with the revolutionary shop stewards, with the Liebknecht, uh, and another from the Spartacists called Pieck and so on. And they met and discussed. They got reports that some of the regiments of Berlin was, was uh, with them. And they got carried away. And there is a very good, I think I have time to, to quote a bit of it. There's a very good in Pierre's, Pierre Boy's book about the German Revolution, a very good quote about these millions of people coming out to the streets wanting to do something. And the leaders, they meet in a room and talk, and talk, and talk. Uh, and this is the end of the quote. He has, uh, for, for this much, said how they stood there and they just talked. And he had, they sat all evening and they sat all night. You have to remember, they came out in the morning. So all evening, all night. Uh, and they deliberated, the leaders. And they were sitting at dawn the next morning and still deliberating. The groups came back to the Sigis Ali again and the leaders were still sitting and deliberating. They deliberated <coughs> and deliberated and deliberated. So we have half a million workers on the streets of Berlin and the leadership has no idea what to do. So they can't give any lead, so people go home, they come back the next morning and there is still no, no lead on what to do. They, w they want to make a revolution and, and nobody, you can't just be half a million people deciding on what to do, you have to have somebody to give a lead and there was no. The, the leadership of the KPD, the Centrale, had asked the Bolsheviks in, in July, uh, could see that this was a provocation and could see that if the Berlin workers actually 
uh, went to take power, they would be isolated from the rest of Germany, and the army would be brought in, and they would be crushed. So they, what they said was, uh, like the Bolsheviks did in July 1917, was if, if the workers go on the street, we will, we will go with them, shoulder to shoulder, but we will also explain that it is, <laughs> it's not time to take power yet. We have to make a retreat and win the whole population, or the majority of, of, of the Russian workers and, and peasants, which they did in October. So to go with them, but also to explain that, that because the working class is not unanimous in, in being radicalized at the same time. The most radical, sec radical sections, if they go too far, they can be crushed by the rest. Um, the problem was <laughs> that the, the, the KPD, the leadership of the KPD, uh, had no real organization to carry out the decision. Karl Liebknecht, who was in, and the other member from the KPD in, the, in this uh, leadership of the movement, they had no contact with the with the KPD Centrale. They did not carry out the decisions of, they just got carried away by the big move. You can understand if there's half a million people, you can get carried away if you don't really affirm on, on your understanding of the situation. Um, so, and the problem then was, when the workers was on the street, then the leadership of the KPD also got carried away. Well, now it's a question of defending the honor of the revolution. They, they couldn't see, and that is really also a warning. Being a revolutionary is not always a question of just saying forward. Sometimes it is necessary to take a retreat in order to gather your forces to go <coughs> forward stronger later. And this is what they should have done. Instead, they said, we have to, we have to save our honor. And the Berlin workers were, were crushed, uh, as a matter of fact. And counter-revolution uh, counter set in. On January 15, uh, the, the Freikorps, the reactionary forces of, of the state, uh, arrested Karl Liebknecht and Luxembourg and other leaders of, of the Spartacists. They were taken for investigation. Uh, first, they escorted uh, Liebknecht out and they shot him with the official um, uh, excuse that he was fleeing. Then they took Rosa Luxembourg out. They smashed her skull with, the, with the, a gun, uh, or what you call the rifle and they dropped her in the canal of Berlin, and her body wasn't found until many months later. And, and, the, and the revolutionary forces lost the only leaders, of, and also others were, were taken in and killed, and, and completely beheaded the movement. And, and, and counter-revolution set in, and the German revolution was defeated in, in action. There were still struggles after that, but in actuality, it was defeated back then. Um, and, and this was, and I think this is the main lesson, and I, I want to go m further into this, that there was also attempts in 21, and especially in 23, of a German revolution, but they, they failed because uh, the leadership of the German revolution didn't uh, understand uh, the necessity of building a Bolshevik revolutionary organization. Uh, and that is what paved the way for Hitler, for Nazism, and for 100 years of, of capitalism in, in Europe. If the German Revolution had succeeded in 1919, as it could have, uh, if there had been uh, a leadership, then uh, we would be in quite a different situation than we are today. And I think, so when we discuss Rosa Luxemburg, I think there were many things that, that she really nailed. <laughs> her, her defense of revolutionary ideas was <coughs> the main thing. But there were also mistakes she made. 
And I, I think the Stalinist has this, this tradition of taking leaders and emboldening them. How do you say that? They put them uh, in on a pedestal. On a pedestal, yes. Uh, and then you can't criticize them. And many on the left wing has this. If you say anything about Allende in Chile, then you're just really horrible because he's dead. Yes, he, he died. But, but, and also Luxembourg died. But what is, what is the main homage you can do to these people? They were revolutionaries. So it's not just to praise them. It is to learn from the mistake they made so we don't make the same mistakes again. And one thing is uh, you can have some of the theoretical things that Luxembourg and Lenin disagreed on, on the national question, the question of accumulation of capital, uh, and so on. That I think Lenin was right and also Luxembourg was, was not right on these questions. But the main thing and the main lesson I, I think we should take from this is her great mistake was not building a Bolshevik <coughs> cater organization in time. You cannot create an organization in the middle of the revolution. The revolution broke out in 1918, November, and the, the Communist Party was formed uh, two months later <laughs> than, the, than the revolution broke out. Uh, already back in 1903, when Lenin had wrote What is to be done uh, about how to organize an organization, she criticized him for being too uh, uh, centralist, <coughs> for being putschist, uh, how do you say that? Well, to, 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 to support coups, uh, not, not focusing on the mass movement. And she wrote this, um, what is the English title? Mass, mass struggle? Yeah. Yes, uh, focusing on the spontaneous uh, activity of, of the working class and of the masses. And you can understand why she focused so much on it when you look at the leadership of the SPD and how bureaucratic uh, and, and reformist they had become. But, but then she just never formed any organization around her, her ideas. She never built a cater organization inside the SPD, uh, which she should have done. Um, Partly because she didn't understand, I think, and partly because she, she was afraid it would split. And probably it would have split. If you start to build, I think all who have, have worked in other organizations <coughs> will, will know this. If you start to build, uh, I have learned quite a <laughs> hard lesson. If you try to build a revolutionary Marxist cater organization within the broader movement, uh, then you are a threat. And then at some point there will be a split. Uh, and, and probably, of course, we don't know what would have happened if but probably that would have happened if they had actually tried from the beginning, from Bernstein put forward his ideas, uh, as Lenin did in the Russian Social Democrats, uh, building the Bolshevik faction. Uh, they should have built uh, a Bolshevik faction inside the, the German labor movement, um, building cadres. You cannot stand in the middle of a revolution with inexperienced, uneducated people trying to lead, a, then they will sit and discuss and discuss and discuss and have no idea. And a revolution <coughs> is, is, uh, is not forever. It is, it, uh, Trotsky writes in um, Lessons of October, uh, that is about the, the mistakes of the German revolutions and what you could learn from the Russian revolution. There is a certain span of time that if you don't act, the revolution is lost. And, and leaders who, who vacillate, <coughs> they can't lead the revolution, and then it's defeated. There is no middle ground. Either you go forward or, or you are defeated. So you need to have leaders who are experienced in struggles, in victories, and in defeats. And the Bolsheviks had many defeats, <coughs> but they learned from all these defeats, and, and they were built as, as, um, as Marxist cadres. It is not enough, and I think that is also an important discussion. Rosa <coughs> Luxemburg was very well known, uh, and her ideas were very well known. 
But it is not enough to have influence, and it is not enough to have the correct ideas if you do not build an organization at the same time. Then, then you are without a tool to take these ideas to its conclusion when, when the test is actually set, when you are actually uh, standing in a revolutionary uh, situation. So I think this is what we should learn. That doesn't change the fact that she was through and through a revolutionary and through and through defended the ideas of Marxism. Uh, and I, I would like to end by a quote by uh, Lenin uh, West, where he says, uh, in appreciating Rosa Luxemburg, eagles may at times fly lower than hens, but hens can never rise to the heights of eagle, uh, even though her mistakes, and he lists them, um, and he also says uh, she corrected some of them, but in spite of her mistakes, she was and remained for us an eagle, and not only will communists all over the world cherish her memory, but her bi biography and her complete works. So I think this is our attitude uh, to Rosa Luxemburg also. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to IMTV Radio. Subscribe or download the podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud or visit www.socialist.net for all the latest news, analysis and Marxist ideas. Thank you.